Yeah. Hey, everybody, Dave Whitley here. Welcome back to the Advancing Man Project podcast. Today, I've got my friend, Ben Lavoy, and i um, excited to have this conversation. Ben and I have had some talks back and forth, um, known each other for coming up on a year now, and it's been a, a good relationship that we've had. Uh, ben, um, he's a good man. He's a good dude, and he's a loving father, and and I really, really am grateful to um, to know you, Ben, and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing out there. Um, ben was a man is a man who's a blueprint for life that he had been following stopped working for him when he was in his early 30s and rather than just slog away and and you know be one of those guys who sort of um wa walks through life hoping to to conveniently arrive at death one day after 30 or 40 years of that he decided to seek out a better way to live purposefully and to do that in service to other people and during that time um, he's done a lot of research, done a lot of work with men, and learned that the pain that many men around him are experiencing created um, a, a need for something that he calls Atlas Brothers in Growth Movement. I'll let him talk more about that, but it's focused on surrounding each man with a powerful team so that that man is empowered to, in turn, create the life of his dreams, uplift his family, uplift his community, and generally make the world a better place. So, um, the website for that is brothersingrowth.com. Ben's going to talk to us about the Atlas Project. He's going to talk to us about um, what he calls the Mandemic, which is a fascinating topic, and, and I'm not going to say anything else about that. I'm going to let him do it. Ben, welcome to the show. Looking forward to having you on here, having a good conversation, and helping you promote everything that you do. Yeah, Dave. First of all, I just want to say thank you. I'm so happy to be on this call with you. Dave, you're a good man as well. Thank you. I mean, we've gotten to know each other over the past year, and it's so clear where your heart is, where your values are to be in service to men, but even beyond men, to their sons and daughters and families. And uh, this is a real thing that you take personal. It's really true to your purpose. And uh, I celebrate you. And I celebrate the time that we're going to have together to be in this conversation. So thank you. Uh, there is a pandemic, and I had to find this out the hard way. You know, 10 years ago, I was still following a blueprint that society and my parents had given me about how a man should behave in the world. And it really centered around certifications, achievement, creating a kind of financial um, situation where you feel safe and secure, you know, getting married, you know, getting that house with the figurative white picket fence. And I, I, I was blessed to actually get all that. Uh, I worked very hard to, you know, in my late 20s to married, had a house, um, and I had been climbing a corporate ladder and I felt very unfulfilled. And it was a very disillusioned and confusing time for me because it felt like I had followed the blueprint that everyone had told me since I was maybe eight years old that I knew about. Um, and I'd gotten the things that should fulfill me. And so I read a book. Someone handed me a book at this time in my life by David Brooks called The Two Mountains. And he talks about it so eloquently how as men and as people, we climb this first mountain of shoulds. It's a shoulds of society, what we should do. And then only when you kind of get to the top of it, you realize, wait a second, is this really what I'm going to do the rest of my life? Uh, and oftentimes there's kind of a feeling of emptiness. There's a seeking feeling. Um, I ended up getting divorced. I ended up on an air mattress with credit mm. card debt, health challenges, was struggling to stop drinking. And I'm in this place and I'm 30 years old. And I'm like, I can't follow this blueprint anymore. Uh, and as I finally humbled myself to say, okay, enough pride. Let me talk to other people in my life, my dad, my brother, friends, what they're going through and share what I'm going through. Every other guy I talked to, including my dad, including my brother, including friends were like, yes, I feel the same way. I feel like I've been following a blueprint that tells me to act, behave and achieve in a certain way in life and to play what we call the solo game, 
to do it all yourself, put all this pressure on yourself to kind of walk around this pressure on your shoulders, which is emotionally unsustainable. And so you see this in anxiety, depression, you see this in heart attacks with men of 50. Uh, and so I was convinced there was a better way, but I didn't know what the better way was, Dave. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like being led into the, into the desert. I was like, okay, I'm in the desert. I'm in the valley. I want to climb a mountain that's more purposeful, more mission-driven, service-oriented, more richer uh, in terms of experience of life, but I don't know how, how to do it. Um, but my why became clear 10 years ago that everything I would do would be to help other men because I really cared for my father who also had been an alcoholic and recovered. I cared for my brother and these close friends. I was like, listen, I don't want these guys that have to go through the same confusion, disillusion, or frustration I'm going through right now. Uh, and so I, I jumped into personal development. I jumped into Tony Robbins and I jumped into Joe Dispenza. And I went all the people that you kind of read about and you follow and read tremendous amount of books. And I actually got certified as a coach. I went through neuro-linguistic programming coaching and I did all this. But what I realized is a lot of the training was still primarily transactional. And as a man, what I wanted at the end of the day was, yes, the wisdom, the knowledge, the strategy, techniques was helpful. Really what I was seeking is a team. I wanted to trade transaction for team, the guru for the group. And so my own experience, I wasn't able to find that. And so that led to the eventual genesis of Atlas Brothers and Growth, which became a place for men to feel like they can nurture the true and healthy masculine nature as men in the world today, uh, but they can do it in a team sport environment. We kind of gamify the week, we gamify the month, the year, right? we challenge each other, hold each other accountable. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of adventure. It's also a lot of inspiration and transformation as well. Uh, and it's all centered around that you're not alone. Don't play the solo game anymore. Uh, play the team sport. And so that's a little about the journey and how it ties to the group, Dave. Um, tell me a little bit more about the team sport for men idea. I, I, I like it. And you and I have talked a little bit about it, you know, outside of this, but the, the people who are listening, I think that they could benefit to, to hear more about that from you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Dave. So a couple of principles come to mind. One is the team sport is designed around the concept of true transformation and inspiration occurs through meaningful connection. I had to learn this the hard way. I had to go to these seminars and be like, I'm going to achieve. I'm going to have my vision board. I'm going to have my goals. I'm going to manage my time and realize it actually made me increasingly lonely. Hmm. I felt like I was separating from my romantic partner, who's now my wife. I was separating. From, like, I was just kind of like on my own path, just like going along. You know, I had this like I was listening to music, for example, that was very much like prove yourself, chip on your shoulder. It was all reinforcing that same psychology of kind of having to do it all yourself, emphasizing yourself in your own journey. And it was only through the, that loss that I experienced that I, that I shared er, early on this call that I, I started to look at, OK, actually, I have to create I want to create impact in my life. But the door to impact, I realize, is through intimacy. And intimacy is through sharing your inner experience of life. And so I was like, okay, if I want to have a life that's impactful in a positive way, beyond myself, on others, I have to create more intimacy and I have to share my inner experience of life, which to be honest, Dave, at first is incredibly terrifying. So I was like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> so there was a lot of running, there was a lot of resisting, there was a lot of retreating. And I made a resolution, no, enough. I'm going to commit to that. And that, that's just going to be an expectation for myself, my life, but it's going to be a standard. It's going to be an internally driven standard of how I show up in, in life and in the world. Uh, and that made a shift. So this idea that as you grow, you know, the, the, the paradigm we use is everyone's climbing their own mountain, right? And you see behind me, right? So this idea of as men, we're not just kind of walking in a field, we're climbing a mountain, meaning we're continually ascending, right? And there's a, it's a continuous journey day in and week in and week out. You know, I use the analogy in the group of as men, if I told you today, you're going to start that business 
here's 10 years of all the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations to, climb, to build that business over the next decade. Or I could give you a helicopter to fly to the top of the mountain. Which one right. would you take? And it's funny, men wrestle with this question. They say, I take the helicopter. Well, the reality is, if you take the helicopter to the top of Mount Everest, or the top of a mountain, for example, that's very high up, oftentimes you would asphyxiate. You would actually suffocate from lack of oxygen. And I think that's such a powerful metaphor. Because if you just want to take you know, th this thing that just ziplines you to the top of the mountain, what will happen is actually you haven't built the intellectual, spiritual, emotional, and physical muscles to be able to handle the challenges and responsibilities as you climb higher in life. And so this is a gradual process. Now, this gradual process is a lot of inner work. It's this idea of it's an inside game first, which can be very scary, very lonely, like I mentioned, very frustrating. And this idea of how do you create a space, a team sport, where men are sharing that inner experience, that inner climb, and as they go through, yes, every man is climbing their own mountain. But the reality is there's parallels. Like, Dave, what you've done, for example, in the in the health space with like powerlifting and all these different strongmen, sorry, all these different things tell us that Dave has wisdom to share. And there's and other men have wisdom to share, maybe in different areas of domains of life. And so they have respecting hey, you each climbing your own mountain, you just go through the inner experience, the inner climb, but actually we have a lot of share. And so it's it's really creating a space for that to occur. That's really the the, the core of this team sport. Uh, philosophy. I like the way that you describe that about the helicopter, because what it made me think of is we've heard stories so often um, of people who live in a trailer park or a housing project, and they're like right on the poverty line. And then for some reason, something happens and say they hit the lotto and they win, mm -hmm. you know, five, 10 million bucks. And you would think that they'd be set for life then. But more often than not, when we see something like that happen, within two or three years, they're back in the same position they were in or even worse position than they were in because having that that sudden influx of money mm. um, just amplified all of the character traits that they had that kept them in poverty in the first place. Um, and so they they get a lot of money, but they don't experience true wealth mm. because they're they're not they're not equipped to to do that. And so if they if they get this big lump sum of money and then they still hang around with all their broke poor um circle of of influence that they've been involved with, they stay in that that in, in that vibration, right? And mm -hmm. so um they wind up very much like you said, suffocating from not being able to to breathe once they get to the top of the mountain. Whereas um if you develop the skills to climb the mountain, if you develop the skills to 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 actually earn the money, to actually mm. earn the the um, the wealth and everything that goes along with that, to be able to deal with the problems that that having that level of income or that level of uh, that amount of money in your life um, brings into your life, because everything's going to have problems. You know, it, it, you think that the people who have millions of dollars in net worth don't have problems; they still do. They're just different problems, and they have to be handled in a different way. Um, so, I think that that really what you're talking about in teaching men to climb the mountains and like the logo behind you has you've got the guy who's further up extending a hand to help the brother come up the next step that he may not be able to take himself that mm -hmm. mentorship and that um that accountability of course and that that being able to glean the wisdom and knowledge of the people who have already walked the path before you is so incredibly vital and i think it's one of the that's one of the beautiful things about the atlas movement that you're doing is you've got guys in there or we've got guys in there who are of varying levels of um, uh, uh, 
varying heights or altitudes is the best way mm. uh, mm. on their individual mountains. And there are guys who are directly in front of them. There are guys who are directly behind them. There are guys who are way up near the peak summit. And we can draw inspiration from that guy that's way up there. We can draw support from the guy that's right in front of us. And we can help support the guy who's right behind us mm. um, to, to all, so that all of us can, can climb up our individual mountain. I think that's the beauty of what you're doing. And, and, um, I, I think it's fantastic. And I think too, I talk a lot about um, how that having the mindset and how you have to become the person first internally, like you talked about with all the inner work before you can experience it externally, mm. if you want it to work. Um, a lot of the guys that I work with come from backgrounds of being told the like the standard trite stuff like uh, like boys don't cry and and they wind up like hiding their emotions or like any unpleasant emotion like sadness or grief or anything like that isn't allowed to be expressed unless it comes in anger because anger doesn't feel vulnerable you know you can you mm. can be hurt and attack and you don't feel like you're going to get hurt anymore um and what you're doing with the way that you that you've reprogrammed yourself and the way that you're you're helping spread this message with other men uh, particularly with fathers is you are demonstrating modeling every single day what it looks like to have healthy emotional development so that when mm. as a grown man if you're hit with something that is that is painful and something in your condition is like no don't cry attack right um th that can be very um very detrimental if you attack the wrong way. Like if you attack by lashing out at people, or if you attack by, by, you know, retreating into, you mentioned um, alcohol earlier. Like if, if that's mm. how you express that anger and, and that rage that goes along with it, um, then that can be very detrimental. But if you've got, if you develop this healthy ability to express, okay, I'm grieving, I'm upset, I'm sad, I feel disappointed, whatever it is, how can I take this and use it as fuel to attack in a positive way, which, which what, what useful, helpful actions can I take that will resolve this problem, not just for myself, but in the process of doing that, create something that's going to help other people as well. And I love that you are modeling that for your kids, that you are teaching men to model that for their kids, because so much of that emotional and behavioral brain development that happens, particularly with young kids. I mean, I, I know your kids are pretty young. Mine is five mm -hmm. and I'm very much about um, allowing him to experience the feelings that he has because so many of us are, are told, well, the world's a harsh place. You've got to learn how to be tough. You cannot mm -hmm. learn how to be tough if you don't learn how to experience those emotions in the first place. Being tough isn't suppressing emotions. Being tough mm -hmm. is being able to experience the emotion and then continue to act anyway. Which, you know, brings it back around to the whole team sport thing, right? If if one of your players gets injured or one of your players is down or one of your players is having an off day, the rest of the team can help him pick up the slack. Um, is that a is that a fair assessment to to Yeah, yeah, that's wonderfully said, Dave. So thank, thank you, you for that. I think four things come to mind. One, in the group, the guiding philosophy is to build stone castles, not sandcastles. Mm. Mm. And I think as men, like to your point, the helicopter analogy is so powerful in my own life as well, my own experience, my own climb, because I wanted to Go fast. Right? And they say, go fast, go alone, go far with the team. And this concept of you really want to build something sustainable, powerful, uplifting, beyond your life even, you need a team. Right? And you go throughout history, anyone that's built anything substantially meaningful has surrounded themselves with a team. And so that that's just a big lesson from 
that kind of that temptation to build a sandcastle. But we know sandcastles, the first wave that comes washes away the sandcastle. And I've seen it in many, my own life and in many friends. They, you know, they do things that are maybe a little like toe in the line in business, right? What we say in Atlas is integrity is the only insurance for long-term success. And they kind of toe the line like, okay, I made a little trade-offs here. And the next thing you know, they get investigated. They lose the business. All these things happen. So it's all back to, you're going to, it might take a little longer. It might be the tortoise. It may take a little long, more time. The reality is you're going to build that stone castle. Uh, so, so important. I think the other thing you, you, you as you were talking to, it reminded me of the guy, we, we're very blessed to have people like yourself in the community, Dave, people that have, like you said, a further along on the climb. We have monks, fitness coaches, business coaches, sex and marriage coaches, for example. Um, but what's really fascinating about it is, um, and this is from my own experience, is we've created a space where even the guides and the coaches are humans. And there's a humility in it, in the culture. And that's one thing that kind of frustrates me is like in this personal development space, so often you see people just say, listen, I'm just like, I know everything. I have the, I have the playbook, pay for the playbook, and then upsell, upsell, upsell. Uh, and the reality is they're still human and they're still going through their own climb. And I think the more that we can share that we can share, like our monk, for example, he's married now. And so he talks about going through the challenges of, you know, being in a marriage and, and creating a passionate monogamous relationship and what that means for him. And we have a marriage coach that kind of gives him advice and other people, you know, so it's a very, it, it's really a network of peers, I think is important, uh, where there's different guys and experts call these different domains, but we're all on this climb together uh, as a broader group. I do like what you said too of this philosophy, and there's a great book by this. It's about marriage, but I think it's a philosophy of life, which is from I do to we do. And I think in our 20s as men, uh, oftentimes, at least for myself, I was very much I do. I was like, I need to create, I need to build, I need like, this is I, me. Uh, and if I don't, Fear, 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 fear. All these things will happen, right? Very scarcity, fear-driven. And transition to we, like, listen, for example, I'm not going to spend today uh, only working all the time. I'm going to go to my, you know, even today, for example, I was a chaperone at my daughter's invention convention, mm -hmm. all right? And it's a work day, but I'm intentionally doing those two hours, for example, or I'm taking, you know, the daughters of this, this, and this, or and this, like, this idea that by transition from I do to we do, and you, you, you're going to have to be more patient. You have to be more connection oriented. That is the team sport, but ultimately you're going to create a richer life. And so this is this different blueprint or playbook we talk about. Uh, it's it's a shift. It's a significant shift. And if you're used to playing that solo game of how you approach life, uh, but we've seen it now with enough guys across over 10 countries, it's kind of a proven system and it works. Mm -hmm. And the last piece I was going to say, you talk about nature, I love it, uh, is our philosophy. And I know we, we share this philosophy, Dave, you and I, is as men and as women and people in the world, humans, is to not bottle up nature, but to nurture our true nature. And the discernment is to know what's our true nature, what's maybe not our true nature, right? What's our social programming? What's our ego? What's these other parts of ourselves? And what's our true nature in essence? And then to nurture and create the soil for that nature to flourish. And that's when not just men, but women, families, communities can be at their best. Brilliant stuff. I love literally everything that you ever said, or, or everything <laughs> that you said just then. Um, as you were talking about that, you're you're talking about um, the I do to we do, and part of that, um, relating it back to to taking care of ourselves internally. Um, you know the the cliche of put your own oxygen mask on before you before you can help anybody else. Um, in the midst of doing all that, we as men, um have to seriously take into serious consideration and take it seriously that um, our own mental health 
and our own self-care practices are vital for us to be able to take care of the vessel that we're in and, and to take care of the mind and spirit that we that is housed within this vessel. And I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on maybe stuff that you do yourself or that that gets talked about in the groups or, or other ideas that you've picked up from people about self-care practices or routines for men that have been particularly helpful for you in maintaining like um, mental wellness and focus, especially when we're talking about balancing things. You, you talked about um, your, your daughter's thing this morning and now, you know, you're on this and then I know that you've got a, a call that has to do with the, um, 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 Atlas, uh, with a brothers and growth.com and drew a blank on that for a moment, um, right after this. So you're, you're going in all these different directions all the time. What sort of self-care practices and routines, um, do you have in place or do you think are particularly helpful in holding on to that mental wellness while you're mm. balancing fatherhood, entrepreneurial stuff, uh, just day-to-day -day life? Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Right. So I think I'm going to talk maybe at the philosophy level. Sure. Uh, and then talk about the kind of practices, because I think philosophy kind of guides the practices ultimately. So one, one, one thing that comes to mind as you were speaking, Dave, was just that I think so often as men, we keep everything functional around us. And I've talked to so many men in this experience in the last decade as Atlas was formed and then has grown now in over 10 countries. And so many men feel like they have no joy in their life. So they feel like they're keeping everything, they're keeping the marriage functional, they're keeping the kids in school, they make sure they have, you know, tutoring, the right support, for example, uh, they're working, um, but they feel no richness, no joy in life. And, you know, I once heard it said to have your dreams and be unfulfilled is actually the greatest type of failure, or the mm -hmm. greatest type of disappointment, because you're like, okay, everything's functional, but I still don't feel like I enjoy my life fully. It's not rich. Uh, and so part of that is, you know, how do you make that shift to answer your question? And it is a daily, weekly practice. And I do think it's a blend of, as I mentioned, inspiration. The guiding philosophy of Atlas is actually the guiding philosophy for my own life. It's a mix of inspiration and transformation centered around meaningful connection. So this idea of inspiration is more of like, hey, I heard, I watched a YouTube, I watched this, you know, podcast. I watched today's podcast. Okay. I get like an inspired, I feel like I'm in a higher state of being. My focus shifts, my paradigm shift. That's inspiration. Transformation is the deeper work. So maybe it's a retreat, maybe it's, you know, journaling, maybe it's blocking out time to really dive into, you know, a, a deeper form of growth uh, that's more lasting, more transformational in nature. Uh, and so you have to blend those two. So in my own life, I do the inspiration we have. I have my, every day. I start the day with things I do spiritually, things I do every day. I read, for example, uh, I wake up at 5 a.m., one of those 5 a.m. crazy people. Um, so I, I read to inspire my spirit and my mind first thing in the morning. Uh, there's prayer involved, there's mindfulness activities. Um, I do also have a daily plan because one of the things I heard that was so powerful by this guy, Richard Rohr, uh, he's a Franciscan monk. He said, the genius of masculinity is directionality. So the genius of masculinity mm. is directionality, which means we need a direction, <laughs> right? It's a, so when we don't have a direction, we don't have a plan for the day. We don't like know what our intentions are. We kind of like flounder a bit. We go in all these different directions. We're easily distracted. We get pulled into video games or whatever these different distractions, social media, news media. And so having that intentionality of like, oh, this is how I'm going to set up my day to make sure I'm serving my wife. I'm supporting my kids. Uh, for example, I'm creating. So creating is an important part of like, I call, I, I shifted from execute in business. I used to, I used to call it execution. I used to execute checklists. So now I create higher vibration. So now I'm like, what am I creating today in the world? 
And even it's a different question, but it shifts your perspective. Now I'm just like, I'm not getting done a to-do list. I'm creating something really meaningful. Wow, that's exciting. That's engaging. What am I going to do? Uh, and so that, for example, is a big shift. I do that in the morning. So there's a priming part of it. I also have a I bookend the day. So I do something at the end of the day. And as an entrepreneur, it's so important. I, I talk to so many men entrepreneurs that they they maybe they do the prime, maybe they don't in the morning, but many of them do not do it in the evenings or the afternoon or the end of the day. And then they the work kind of blends into personal. Personal professional kind of blend together. They're thinking about work while they're with their family, mm-hmm. while they're trying to do things, or they work, you know, they end up working on, you know, all the way Saturday, Sunday, they just keep working. Uh, and so it's finding that balance. Like, okay, I did it now. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to appreciate. I'm going to kind of integrate. And I'm going to close the day. And then I'm going to be present with other people in my life that I really care about and want to invest in. Um, so those will be the ones that come to mind. The last piece on that celebrate is super important. What I found in my own journey, and, and I remember sitting in an event with 10,000 people as a personal development. And they said, okay, you've achieved that dream vision you've had for five to 10 years right? Whatever it is, you know, maybe it's a personal achievement. Maybe it's a professional achievement. Maybe it's, you know, buying that house you've always wanted to buy. How long did you feel satisfied after you achieved it? And the average duration was a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So these people have spent five to 10 years. They're like, I'm, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to put all that joy in the future. And I'm going to get a couple of days of joy. I mean, my question to the guys listening to this is how long do you have to do that? How many times do you have to do that before you realize maybe I need to shift the blueprint? Maybe there's a different way. And the different way that we believe in Atlas, and I believe in my own personal life, is not just to appreciate, but even a higher vibration to appreciate is to celebrate. So I celebrate people in my life. I celebrate my own journey. I celebrate learnings, wins, wisdom, all the time, daily, weekly. And as a group, you know, you've been on the call, Dave. We do that weekly with the guys as well. Mm-hmm. So guys know they're being celebrated because something that haunts me is my neighbor. This is something that really stuck with me from a young age. I had a neighbor pass away. And he was an incredible man. And he died almost in silence. He had his birthday, then he passed away. And there was someone in the, in the sports media world, we'll say who it was, who passed away the same week. And even people in the same town were like, oh, wow, this famous athlete passed away. And they lost the fact that this guy was active in the community, volunteered, you know, a, a, a dedicated family man. And I was like, how do we make sure that we celebrate men for being positive role models in the lives of their families, in the community? And so that's something that really stuck with me. And so we make it super intentional. We're like, how do we celebrate guys and make sure they feel celebrated as they go through that inner climb I mentioned? Yeah, I think that, that intentionality and that that direction is something that's hardwired into us that goes back, you know, to the caveman days. Mm. Um, I think that um, I think that is part of the masculine experience. Like, like I I don't I, when I think of masculinity and femininity, I don't think in terms of gender or people. I think in terms of energy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and a masculine energy is is a if we related it to something elemental, it'd be very much like fire. Right. It's it goes forward and it and it can either um, it can either power something or it can destroy something. Right. And mm-hmm. I think a feminine energy is being more receptive. Right. And and that's that's true. Like in biology, that's true in in most relationships that we see. But it's also true that and, and I think it's important that we keep in mind that all of us have aspects of masculine and feminine energy. But men like us who are, are wired to do entrepreneurial things, we want to go serve and want to go help. That's a positive channeling of that masculine energy. And we have that intention and we have that direction to go do it. And and I think that that direction is so important because it takes us back to, you know, 20, 30,000 years ago when 
when we would get up and we would go out and hunt and kill something, or we would, if there was a threat, we would be on high alert for it and we would protect, right? I think that that, that is hardwired into us on some level. But I think that in this modern age where there's very little um, actual life and death threats that come to us in a physical sense like that, that that hardwired genetic propensity for that still looks for those things. And if mm. we don't, if we don't give it something to do, it will find something to do. And so the next thing you know, um, what could be um, a driven intentionality with purpose to go do something or create something or serve someone then becomes, um, well, the part of me that, that goes back to the caveman days to look out for danger and, and warn the others winds up spending all day complaining about stuff on social media, right? <laughs> because I see this threat and I'm letting everyone else know about it. That's what complaining on social media is, mm. right? It's it's very much, there's a saber-toothed tiger. I have to tell everyone else. Now it's just like, this person said something that I don't agree with. Now I'm going to go complain about it to everyone else. And so I think that, we, that men can wind up in a space like that or that the urge to to create or build or, or you know, move forward like that winds up expressing itself in stuff like video game addiction. You know, I, I, I hit, you know, level 500 on whatever, I don't play video games on, on whatever it is. And now I get that, that neurological feeling of accomplishment that, that someone who spent months or years building something useful gets. But, you know, if I, if we unplug the video game, then all of it's gone. You know, and it was mm -hmm. all just very masturbatory. It felt good while I was doing it, but nothing was actually created, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you include that in there. And you said something earlier about how philosophy guides practice. That made me think of, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have the exact quote, but it made me think of a quote that I've heard was attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson, I think, that um, it's the difference between methods and principles, right? Principles do not change. And methods change regularly. And if you understand the principles, whatever method you choose to use works. So if you understand the philosophy, whatever way you apply that philosophy to your practice works and makes sense. But if you get caught up in just the method or if you get caught up just in just the practice and you don't understand the principle underlying, you don't understand the philosophy that guides it, then it's just surface level. And you wind up being one of those people that, oh, I tried that for three months and it didn't work. Well, it didn't work because you didn't understand what it was. You you did what you thought you were supposed to do, but you didn't understand what it was. And so I love that that's at the root of everything that you're talking about here. Yeah, thank you for that, Dave. I mean, three things come to mind. So completely agree with philosophy. And and I confused it at first. So I got we hung all up on- We all do. It's like- Yeah, learning the like 1%. It, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like if you want to get stronger and get in shape, people say, well, go to the gym. Well, you can go to the gym and do nothing. And then three months later, I've been going to the gym every day. What have you been doing while you were there? Walking yeah, on a treadmill, yeah. watching Fox News or watching CNN, right? Well, but I'm now I'm not jacked and swole. It's because you're not doing the things. Mm -hmm. You're you're going to the place, but you're not doing the thing. So I'm sorry, yeah. I cut you off on that. No, it's, no, that's exactly right there, right? So I, I actually, you know, I, I, I remember this with kind of like a humorous perspective, but at one point I had a, a daily habit tracker and I tracked like 55 habits. That's a lot. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do that. I'm going to cold shower. It was all about the practices. And I actually felt more stressed out than I've ever been. So I'm like, okay, I'm more stressed out. I'm less productive. I'm less creative, but I'm doing all the habits I should be doing. <laughs> all right. So I had to miss the, okay, back to principles. It's the core, it's the inner game. 
and the practices feeding that. And then you can change and change in or change out practices as desired to achieve specific outcomes uh, or experiences in your life. The other thing I was going to go back to is in so many cases with men I talk to through the Atlas movement, uh, the connection in their lives need direction. So back to directionality. And so oftentimes when we talk to men, they're like, you know, my marriage doesn't feel very rich or fulfilling. I don't feel like the family's very unified. Uh, and it goes, and I want to celebrate, it goes to a lot of tremendous work you're doing, Dave. Thank you. Because you talk about family code and building that family credo. And that's so important. It's back to that creates directionality. And now it's like we're a unified family doing something, moving in one direction as a team, ultimately as a team concept also. Uh, and so that idea of connection with direction and connection without direction for masculine leads to separation. And so this idea of the connections in your life, and that's okay for the masculine. Like, I completely agree with what you say. Masculine is and, and energy and feminine energy are different than the gen, gender, male and female. I completely agree with that. We all have both. Uh, but the masculine energy, we're talking about the energy, this idea of it's okay for that masculine energy to have those directions in in their in their connections in their life, right? Be relational, be business, uh, and have kind of like where is this going? Uh, and that's a good thing because it makes you more energized for the present as well. So to be able to own that and, and appreciate that's in our nature. I think the the a third piece that comes to mind, you mentioned addict, so important. I heard this once because uh, I did go to AA as I stopped drinking. My dad had gone to AA. I went to AA for a period of time. And AA is a tremendous group. What I personally struggle with it is um, I, I felt like I was I was staying in a place of not being, uh, not drinking, right? So it was always like I was, a not, I was a previously an alcoholic. And that became my identity for a period of time. And I do think that limited my growth in some areas of my life. And everyone's going to have a different experience of this, but that was my own experience. Um, but what yeah, I heard I'll, there I'll, is... I agree with you on that. I think that AA has done a lot of good for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And if if that's what's keeping somebody sober and that's keeping them alive, then by all means, go do that sort of thing. My own personal, just me, my own personal um, problem with the way that it, that it's structured is um, I admit that I'm powerless over this thing, but you're not. The fact that you're there is telling me that you're not powerless. And, mm. and, and I think that you're right. Um, I think that, and, and I've, I've, I've not dealt with that sort of stuff on a personal basis. I've never been to an AA meeting, but you know, I've, I've read some of the the stuff because um, a, an author that I absolutely adore named Mitch Horowitz has written mm. a bunch of stuff on various metaphysical stuff and guys like Napoleon Hill and never Neville Goddard and that sort of stuff. He referenced um, in several of the books that I read, the development of AA and how the guys who started it, um, had this spiritual awakening and that was at the, at the crux of it. And so they handed everything over to this higher power. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, but I think that, like you said, a lot of the emphasis for the, for the people who are in there is my identity is now wrapped up in not drinking. Mm. And if, if everything is on not drinking, then it still is about drinking. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and, exactly. um, and like I said, I don't want to, I, I don't want to discount any of the good that AA has done. And I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not throwing dirt on, on that organization at all. It's just my own personal interpretation of what I see there doesn't line up with that. And, but then again, I've never needed it. So I'm not going to, you know, baby and bathwater yeah. that thing. Yeah, but yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah, thank you for that, Dave. No, I think that's tremendous. I think um, in my own <laughs> perspective, uh, obviously it saved my dad's life. Right. It saved actually my dad and my mom's marriage. So I've seen the power of it. I do think, you know, funny enough, actually, AA, because this happened, you know, about a decade ago, um, actually created in some ways the genesis for Alice. Because mm -hmm. I sat with my dad when he stopped drinking. I said, what difference did AA make in your life? And he said, well, it was really powerful for me to sit with a group of men and women 
that we're going through something similar and feeling like I'm not alone and having that fellowship to share what's really going on in my life. And I was like, okay, interesting. So there's something there about having that space to share, having that kind of sharing your inner experience. Like we talked about that intimacy, um, but also not just kind of staying like you talked about and kind of that identification, but also like you can still create the life of your dreams. You can still be empowered to go uplift your family, the world. Uh, there's no need to limit yourself. I think that's the point. Uh, one thing I did hear once, which is kind of interesting about uh, going back to A though, is they talked about addictions are oftentimes a cover, tip of the iceberg, if you will, for these deeper spiritual callings. Mm-hmm. And when you reframe it like that, it's actually quite profound. So it's like, okay, I'm being called to, I'm addicted to whatever it is. And I've been, I had my many, I have had many addictions actually in my life. Um, but maybe it's, you know, for example, alcohol, or maybe it's gambling or it's video games. Like, what is that actual calling that, like you said, that deeper need that's there that you're meeting in a very superficial, you talked about it kind of like, you're not actually creating anything. It's very superficial. Mm-hmm. So you're not meeting the need. It's like eating candy, right? Versus like right. a real healthy meal. Uh, and and really taking the space to say, okay, actually there's a, not to ignore the calling, but to redirect it. And that actually becomes quite profound and transformational. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I want to, before we run out of time here, I want to get you, um, shift gears a little bit we talked a little bit about a little bit about energetically masculine versus feminine energy and stuff um what do you think are some common misconceptions about masculinity because you're in the in the the business of helping men become better men mm. which which by definition brings an aspect of masculinity into it and if like if we don't understand the philosophy and the principles we can't make sense of the method so let's take that down to its core what is masculinity and and what are some common misconceptions about it um just in ben's opinion from ben's point of view yeah i love it great question dave so the way in my own study of the archetypes and you know my own decade-long kind of learning project let's call it what i've identified is really the six core um let's call it drives of the masculine essence uh and there's equivalent drives of the feminine essence again the mix and match of the gender right they're different uh, but in the masculine, what we found, what I found in my own journey to be true is there's a drive for freedom. There's a drive for call it strength. Some people call it strength. Some people call it power, right? But this idea of as a man, you feel like you have, you, you have your energy, your potential energy as a human, and you're able to focus in a direction and move things. Right? Mm-hmm. That's really what power is. Power is ultimately directed energy. Uh, you also have a, a call for adventure, right? This call for um, kind of like this grand adventure of life. Right. That if it's just kind of comfortable and stayed, um, you know, you get that house with the white pickets fence. I mentioned there's a party that eats at you because you need that adventure. Uh, there's this idea of creation, like I mentioned, uh, like we talked about, kind of the biology and all the things that kind of drive that uh, neuroscience even is showing now with the male brain, for example, um, tends to have more of a focus on trying to create things. Um, and so how do, how do you kind of direct that uh, in a healthy way? Right. The connection with direction, like we talked about, it's building these meaningful connections, but with a direction and kind of rallying people. Uh, and then contribution. I believe the masculine is called to contribute, the feminine as well as, again, all of us are called to contribute, but the masculine really is called to be in service and to use that str- call it strength to uplift others, to hold up others. And that's why actually, that's the inspiration for the Atlas logo is this kind of overhead lifting movement, mm-hmm. which requires every muscle in the body. So it's not just a, a curl. It's like you have to use every part of yourself I mentioned spiritual, intellectual, emotional, physical, all these elements of your strength to uplift your family, to uplift others. Um, Now, I think in the current, um, so those, I believe, are the core drives. 
Now, when you look at society, though, I do think these are in our nature, uh, let's say as primarily masculine beings, which most men tend to be. Um, and But they're finding, I would call unhealthy strategies sometimes to meet these drives or these needs. For example, I have a need for freedom. Right? As a young kid, they show at ages three and four, boys are already three, four, five times as likely to push boundaries. Mm -hmm. So we're like, I need to push boundaries. I need to test myself. I need to know like where the limits are um, much more than, and actually I have two daughters and I'll tell you a funny story. I'll come back to this. So we were doing ice skating. The girls, when they were six, seven, eight, right? They would ice skate around the rink, following the rules. And the boys would be in the middle of wrestling with each other. Right. <laughs> right. No one taught them to do this. They just, there's a need to push boundaries. Now, how do you meet that drive for freedom though? This is the question. So if, if there's a masculine being in the world, we have a drive for freedom. I can, I'm married, let's say, I've got a job and I've got kids. Now I can, if I, if I didn't do the inner work to prepare me for this, I can feel like that lifestyle is suffocating. Mm -hmm. And many men do. They feel like that's too much responsibility. I just need to run away. I want to go to like live on a beach in Hawaii. And some men actually do it. Not an insignificant number either. The reality is they're trying to meet their need for freedom. So it's say, okay, you have a need for freedom. You have a need for adventure. Even if you work from home, which I do with my daughters and my wife, and most of our friends are female. So a lot of feminine energy in the house, right? And okay, I still have a need for freedom. I still have a need for adventure. So understanding that is the first piece. It's not repressing your nature because when you press nature, you bottle up anger. So don't repress your nature. Understand what your drives are. Really like sit with it. Like what are the things I'm seeking in my life as a, as a masculine being in the world? And then find healthy strategies. And I would define healthy strategies as a way that obviously meets the need. It can, it also can meet multiple needs, right? So it doesn't just meet need, you know, freedom, for example. Maybe it meets freedom, adventure, and it's also creative in nature. And it's also oriented around connection, right? Would be an example of one. And the third one would be how it affects others, right? So these are th so important. So if I meet my own needs, but I'm hurting others, that's not a healthy strategy. And so for the modern man, the whole the whole framework that we've been talking about is help a man understand that in their blueprint, they've had a blueprint that either was given to them, they might not even be conscious of it, but they're trying to meet these drives as a masculine being in the world. And they might have strategies that are working against them or they're contradictory. And so it's helping a man to understand that and say, actually, you're the designer of your life. You're the creator of your, you're the master of your destiny. And the reality is to, to okay, let's now reshape those strategies. Let's develop new ones, change, edit, modify. And every man has the ability to do this to find those healthy strategies, meet those drives that not just serve themselves, but again, help and uplift others. Definitely. Definitely good stuff. That, that, that is probably the most thorough and, and um, enjoyable answer to that question that I've had anybody on the show. Um, oh, thank you, to me. So thank you very much for that. Um, now, if it's cool with you, I would like to move into the um, rapid fire section here. I'll just throw out Perfect. a question. You give me the quick answer and then we'll yeah. wrap this thing up. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Um, what is a personal mantra or belief that you want to make sure that you pass on to your kids? When you expect, you neglect. Mm. What's the most valuable? So this, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, yeah. This idea that um, make it an internal standard. And don't expect things from your life, expect things from others, but really set high internal standards uh, and, and make sure it's an inner game. It's not about external expectations in your life. Excellent. Excellent. What's the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. <laughs> I think one that I've received actually recently 
uh, I've been reminded of it is the power of, you know, what I was saying around the, the, the spirit, we're spiritual beings in a material world, mm-hmm. I think. And, and, you know, I have a spiritual coach and, you know, my own journey, that was a tough one for me to process and to really kind of accept. But as I accepted my life, my life completely transformed. So I do think that for me has been really transformative. Yeah. I would say that's the one. Excellent. Um, what's a useless talent that you have? So I play the spoons and I learned this. I lived in Paris at the Sorbonne uh, in my undergraduate uh, for almost a year. And we would like do little shows and a guy would have a banjo and I'd have the spoons. And sometimes I bring them out at parties and people are like, what are you doing? Put those spoons away. We need to use those for the food. So I would say it's relatively <laughs> useless, uh, but entertaining. That's, I like that. I've never met anyone that played spoons before. That's good. Um, what's a favorite family meal that you have? You know, we love, um, you know, my, my wife is Colombian, so we love Colombian dishes. Uh, we love steak. So we're like a red meat, right? We love steak. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll leave it with steak. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, favorite holiday? You know, I actually, I got to say it's still Christmas. You know, I've always loved Christmas. I still love Christmas. It's just a beautiful experience with family, the meaning and significance of the holiday. But I found myself fighting off as the girls have gotten older and got more into it as well, liking and enjoying Halloween more than I used mm-hmm. to as a kid. So the girls are like, we even did a haunted house for the neighborhood, for example. We mm-hmm. invited all the kids over and it becomes like a real kind of cool experience. So that's something we've has become like a big family experience. Actually, we do now. Uh, but for sure, Christmas is still the favorite. Cool. Um, you talked about music earlier. Um, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? I got to go with David Lee Roth on that one, man. Um, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I always go with Eddie, but yeah. Um <laughs> And then uh, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Eat one thing? Yeah. One food for the rest of your life. What would it be? I think it would still be steak. (laughs) Consistency. I like that. And then the last one, what is a cherished family tradition, either that you inherited from your upbringing that you want to pass Mm -hmm. on or that your family unit has created that you want to pass on to your kids? And like, what a beautiful question. If you think 20 or 30 years or you know 10 generations into the future they're still doing this what what is that tradition can i give more than one sure yeah so the first one that comes to mind is service saturdays so as a family we always do some kind of active service on saturdays i can tell you there were periods of time when the girls were early were younger we didn't do it uh and they were quickly getting into this like entitlement psychology and so just by making that little shift, like once a week, let's think about it, let's be intentional. So that was a big shift and and really energized the family and created just uh, just beautiful experiences together. Uh, and then the second piece would be um, the girls are now nine and 10 and they have their own YouTube channel, and have their own businesses. So the girls have created YouTube channels and one of them creating art and she gets orders for art and she cuts and makes art. And the other one makes slime, custom made slime, and they donate the slime and the art to children's hospitals. Uh, and so seeing them, um, so this is something we do every week. So I help them shoot the videos. I help edit the videos and, you know, Natalia and I, who's my wife and the girls, it's really become a unifying family experience, mm-hmm. uh, to have that, to help your kids find their true essence and calling and what they feel called to create, whatever that is. And then to support that kind of really creates a really cool unifying experience for the family. Um, I want to make sure uh, I didn't know that about your girls in the YouTube channels. Um, I want to make sure that when we get done recording, that when you send me the rest of the information that we need for the show notes, that we get their YouTube channel so that anyone that listens to this can go check that out and support them. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, Excellent. Appreciate that, Dave. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
All right. Well, um, if anybody wants to know more about the Atlas Project, they go to um, brothersingrowth.com. And it, what is it? There's like a survey there that, that people fill out and go into that now, right? Can you say yeah, you can do a free that? test drive and get to know the guys. You can you can watch. We have weekly calls, multiple weekly calls. You can see kind of a, the culture of the guys and the, and the quality of the guys and the conversations. Or you can take a survey, kind of what we talked about, yeah. to understand where they are with their own six drives. Um, and then where the Atlas guys are and, and some of the things that the Atlas guys are doing to, you know, create more fulfillment across these different drives in their life. Cool. Well, everybody go check it out at brothersingrowth.com. And, um, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed with what you find there. Ben, I appreciate you being on the show today. That's all I got for today. This is Dave Whitley. Awesome, Dave. Appreciate you. Yes, Keep sir. This is Dave Whitley for the Advancing Man Project podcast, and we'll see you next time.